0: Well, we're almost at the end of summer. Summer ends on September 22nd. Uh, I know for a lot of us, we've probably already kind of mentally checked out Uh, from the summer idea. In fact, some of you already know you've got the pumpkin spice latte already on go. You've got your autumn wreath on your door with the pumpkin right beside it. Anybody in here already got the pumpkins out? Our family bought our first one yesterday. Some of us have already moved past that, but I wanna just take a minute this morning and start with some inflective or introspective questions. And the first question was this. After uh, we've passed through the summer, I want you to think about this for just a minute. What was one of the best days that you had this summer? What was one of the best days that you had this summer? Just think about that question for just a minute. I've had plenty of time to think about it. One of the ones for us is me and my wife, Crystal, we had the opportunity to go to Zion National Park in Utah. And uh, it was just an amazing trip. We didn't have a crying two-year-old with us. It was just me and her. And we like to vacation through adventuring. That's kind of our deal. Some of you like to sit by the pool or by the beach and relax all day. That's not really... I get bored with that in like 10 minutes, and so does my wife. So we were literally biking, hiking, all that stuff... All day. It was awesome. All right. Now, you've already had a chance now to think about your best day. Now, I want you to do this. I want you to think of the worst day of your summer. Think about that for just a minute. What was one of the worst days of your summer? Could have been you got laid off. Could have been you had a family member pass away. Could have been something much smaller than that. But whatever it is, think about that for just a minute. What was the worst day you had this summer? And here's what I want you to think about in thinking about both of those questions, the best day and the worst day. How do the best day and the worst day, how do the good days in your life and how do the bad days in your life affect you and affect those around you? How do the good days and the bad days affect you And how do they affect the relationships, the people around you? We're in a series called Climate Change, and it's not really what you think. It's not uh, about debating scientific models or making some kind of political statement. It's really the idea of this, that climate change is really saying, hey, just as weather patterns have a climate, human beings also... Have a climate. In fact, you have a climate. That's what we said last week. You have a climate, and that climate is the environment or the demeanor that you bring. It's that environment that you have with your demeanor and your mood, and each one of us has it. There's no escaping it. The second thing that we said last week, and this is the problem, is many of us don't know what our climate looks like. It's kind of like our breath. I don't know if you've been aware of this, and some of you have already kind of noticed this yourself, but the other day I had a mask on, and I'm walking around, and I'm thinking, man, it smells terrible. What in the world is going on? And I come to find out it was my breath. It was terrible. And I got to thinking, man, I feel sorry for all these people that I talk to all the time that just smile and nod, and they're probably thinking I'm, that I'm holding my breath right now because your breath's so bad. But here's the thing, for some of us, that's kind of what our climate is like. We don't really know, we can't really tell what kind of climate we're putting out there to people. And we said this, we said that our decisions about our attitude and about our perspective, that those decisions dictate or determine what our climate looks like. And in so doing, our climate always dictates a forecast, And you got it right here, that our decisions about attitude, our decisions about our perspective, it's either going to lead us to a place where we have a positive climate that leads to lasting relationships, that leads to satisfaction and love, or we're going to have bad attitudes. We're going to have the wrong perspective, and it's going to lead us to a negative climate that ultimately will lead to destruction. We saw this last week with Cain and Abel. That because of Cain's climate, it led him to a place of devastation and destruction. And for some of us, if we were honest, we've kind of experienced that ourselves. We've either been a victim of the relationship that experienced that, or we've been the cause of a relationship that has experienced that. And so we finished last week with asking this question. It was a little homework assignment. I'm not going to ask you if you did it. But it was this question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? And this week, I want to, instead of ending with a question, I want to start with a question this week. And the question is this. What's it like to be with me when life's not stress-free? What's it like to be with me when life's not stress-free? What's it like to be with me when those stressful bad days come? Another way to ask it is this, what's it like to be with me when expectation meets reality? If we think about it, that's really what stress is, that we have this expectation of how we think life should go, of how we think our day should go, and what happens? It comes in collision with reality. There comes a point, in fact, for uh, there comes many points within the day, within the week, within the year. There comes many points where our ideal expectations meet the reality of suffering. So when stress comes, when suffering comes, when the struggles come, what's it like to be around me? What does it do to our relationships? How should we respond in the midst of stress and in the midst of suffering. Jesus gives us an incredible example to follow. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, uh, you've got a handout there. You can use the digital handout as well, but uh, we want to encourage you, turn to Mark chapter 1. Uh, We're going to be looking at this neat little story of Jesus here. Mark starts his gospel right here in in chapter 1. He doesn't really tell us much about the Christmas story. Actually, he doesn't tell us anything about the Christmas story. He goes straight to Jesus as a 30-year-old man. Jesus is about to begin his his, uh, public ministry for the next three years. And he is right here at the Jordan River with his cousin, John. And look here, verse with me in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now imagine how amazing this moment is in history. Sometimes we read things in the, in the gospel accounts or in our Bible, and we just kind of glaze over the fact that this is real, like this actually happened. It's pretty cool. In, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism here at our church. We're going to celebrate with those who have already made a profession of faith uh, in our Lord Jesus. And we're going to do that right here. And this curtain's going to come open, and we're going to see people come down and really just profess Christ, profess what's already occurred in their life. And it's going to be this great celebration. It always is. It's one of my favorite times here at the church is when we have baptism. But imagine that's you, okay? So for me, I was eight years old when I was baptized and gave my life to Christ. And Imagine this with me. Imagine when you you were baptized, imagine coming down, getting in the water, getting dunked, coming back up, and all of a sudden, the room fills with this roar. And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven says this about you. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. I am proud of you. Man, that would be amazing. And I can bet you 100 bucks right here and now, that would go down as the best day of your life. Like, I'm sorry, that surpasses your wedding day. That surpasses the day your children were born. A day where you audibly hear the voice of God say to you, I love you and I'm proud of you. I am pleased with you. This is the day that Jesus is having. It is one of his best days, right? It's an incredible day. His dad is speaking to him. And for some of us, we've never heard our dad say something like this to us. For others of us, we hear it all the time. But every time we hear it, no matter what, it sounds pretty awesome. I love you and I am proud of you. I am well pleased with you. And if we're honest, we live for days like this, don't we? We live for days like Jesus is having here. You see, we have these ideal expectations about what our life should look like, what our week should look like, and we have these ideal expectations of what our day should look like. And the thing is, Jesus is living out this ideal day, but it's on a collision course with the reality of suffering. It's coming. Look here with me uh, right after this in verse, the end part of verse 11. At once, the Spirit sent him. The word sent there, it could say drove. The Spirit drove him. The Spirit expelled him out into the wilderness. Just when everything is going smoothly, just when everything seems perfect, great, wonderful, Reality hits, suffering comes, and into the wilderness, Jesus goes. And what we see here is there's really two kinds of suffering that I want to identify here that we all deal with in our life. Two kinds of suffering. The first kind of suffering, and it's kind of a harsh term, but hang with me, is suffering caused by stupidity. We all deal with suffering caused by stupidity. For some of us, it's not watching where we're going and we step off the curb and fall and get hurt. For some of us, it's we're on our phone texting and we rear-end the guy in front of us. And what do we say after something like that happens? What do we say to ourselves? We say this, I can't believe I was so stupid, right? I can't believe I did that. Why am I not watching where I'm going? Why am I not paying attention? I can't believe I did that. And although those things might be innocent, there's also another kind of suffering stupidity that we deal with called sin. That God tells us to stay away from that. He knows it's going to lead to heartache and suffering. And we even know it's going to lead to heartache and suffering. And guess what? We do it anyway. Why would anyone willingly choose sin knowing where it leads? Sin makes us stupid. Some of our bad days, some of the suffering we've had in our life has been because of our own stupid and foolish mistakes. And this is a suffering that every one of us in this room has dealt with. Romans tells us that, that there's none righteous, that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen down this path before. So there's this suffering caused by stupidity, but there's also this suffering caused by sovereignty, there's this suffering caused by sovereignty. And some of you theologians in the room, because I'm right there with you, think, well, technically all suffering's caused by sovereignty, and you're right. So we'll say it this way. It's suffering caused exclusively by sovereignty. Suffering caused exclusively by sovereignty, where we can do everything right. We can go to church, we can love our spouses, we can tell people about Christ, we can stay away from sin, we can check all the boxes in our life when it comes to the Christian life, and yet suffering finds a way to us. Think about it, who sends Jesus into, into the wilderness? Who sends him there? The same one that said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And then right after that, he sends them sends him into Suffering. Is it possible that God might allow this to happen to us? You see, the problem is we see suffering coming. We see it on the horizon, and our culture has taught us, and we've kind of taught ourselves to run as far away from it as possible. That if suffering's coming into our life, we must have done something wrong. If something's, if suffering's coming into our life, if we have stress in our life, it's because, hey, it's a vice in our life, it's a curse in our life, and we will avoid it at every cost. And when the suffering comes to our life, many of us don't handle it very well. For some of us, when suffering comes into our life, when stress comes into our life, we handle it a lot like an ice storm. Think about what an ice storm does. It literally shuts down everything. And for some of you, when you are in stress, this is your go-to weather front right here. This is your go-to climate. You operate the same way. You shut down. You get quiet. You retreat. You disconnect from your family and from your friends. You, and here's where the word comes from, you ice people out. Because you've got this stress in your life, and this is how you deal with it. So this is how some of you deal with stress. Others of you, you deal with stress kind of like a tornado. Stress comes and stirs you up, and guess what? Now that that stirred you, now that that stirred you up, you're going to stir up everything else around you as well. You're the kind of person, you're a little quick-tempered. You're a little destructive. You're, you're the kind of dad or the mom where the kids say, hey, watch out. Dad's having a bad day. You're a person that has drama in your life when stress comes. You might have been called the drama queen or the hothead. But this is the way some people deal with stress. And you're loved by your family and friends. But here's the truth. The way you deal with stress makes you a very high-maintenance person. And here's the thing. The only reason I can speak so eloquently about the tornadoes in the room is because I am one. This is my go to negative flesh climate. I mean, bring Dorothy and the scarecrow, here comes the tornado. This is me. When I'm left to myself and when I'm not walking in the Spirit of God, this is how I deal with stress and suffering. And some of you do the same thing. Maybe the way you deal with stress and suffering is you're kind of like a rainstorm, there's a lot of thunder. There's a lot of lightning, and then it starts. It just starts to rain, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains. Just complaint after complaint after complaint falling from the sky. You're chicken little, you know, the sky is falling. And if anyone's the victim, it's you, right? Your life is always worse than everyone else's life. You're the person that when somebody's asking how your day's going, fine. My job's so hard. My school schedule's so hard. My family's so difficult to deal with. And these are the kind of persons that, when they get in circles with friends, and you might be one of these people, you always find a way to one up your story of suffering right? So someone's sitting there in your little group and they're telling you how they got their two wisdom teeth taken out the other day and you're sitting there just can't wait for them to finish their story because you're going to tell them your story that you had four wisdom teeth taken out and they were impacted so you had to get them cut out and it was just so much worse than what this guy dealt with. That this is your persona, this is the climate that you bring about. It's Eeyore on the struggle bus, And here's the thing, for some of us, that's where we find ourselves. Others of us, we deal with stress like a hurricane. We suck all our stress in, we're very hard to read, and on the surface, everything looks like a sunny day at the beach. But when the stress comes, and that storm finally makes landfall, it can be one of the most destructive forces on the planet. And when this kind of person finally explodes and blows up, everyone looks around and thinks, where is this coming from? Because they have been bottling this up for so long, and now it's coming out. And here's the thing, we laugh a little bit about this, but but here's the truth. It's easy for us to identify the storm fronts of other people. It's easy for us to identify these climates in other people. You might be chuckling, thinking, well, there's my spouse, well, there's my child, Where there's my dad. But here's the thing, what default climate do we find ourselves falling into when it comes to stress? If it's one of these, it's going to create a lot of devastation in our well-being and in the relationships we find ourselves in. So this is where it's happening, when ideal expectations meet The reality of suffering, this is where it all happens, in the suffering and in the stress. But here's the thing, there is a better option to choose. And it's this option we see Jesus choose, this path of hope that Jesus is on here in this passage. That in the midst of stress and in the midst of suffering, we can be on a path of hope. And I love this path. It's actually in Romans 5, and I've got it right there in your handout, so you don't have to turn there. We're going to put it on the screen. But Romans 5, Paul shows us what this path of hope looks like. Look at what it says in there on your outline or here on the screen. And we boast, verse two, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We actually were just doing that just a minute ago when we were singing. We were boasting in the hope. Of the glory of God we were worshiping and praising God and for most of us in this room that's actually an easy thing to do but look at verse 3 not only that not only so but we also glory or another word you can use there is rejoice we actually rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope this is the path that we see jesus on here in mark chapter one the spirit sends him into the wilderness in verse 12 and he doesn't complain he doesn't throw a fit he doesn't pout he doesn't get quiet and, and 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 moody instead what do we see look at verse 13 and he was in the wilderness 40 days We don't see any gap between 12 and 13. He just, he was sent there and he goes there. He goes into this place of suffering. What we see here is this focused trust that Jesus has in his father. This is the starting point to the path of hope for each one of us in this room. That when the suffering comes, there's this focused trust that we have in our savior, right? Look at Romans 5.3 again, it's there in your handout. Because we know, it says there, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know. We know that suffering is going to produce these things. We don't know, believers don't guess. We know, we trust the one that's putting us through the fire. And we know that it is producing something amazing within us. Remember the game, Pin the Tail on the Donkey? You remember that? You've probably played that before at a child's birthday party. Maybe you haven't as an adult. um, But you've seen the kids do it, right? They put the blindfold on, they spin them around, they give them something sharp, and they say, go to it, right? And as they're trying to find the donkey, what's all the other kids doing? They're laughing, right? They think it's hilarious. It's a great confidence booster for a kid. Um, But here's the thing. For some of us, I really believe this. I think we think that's how God works in our suffering. That we think that God, when we have suffering in our lives, when we have some kind of stress that comes into our lives, when our expectations aren't being met the way we think they should, we think that God's just kind of blindfolding us, flipping us around a bunch and saying, have at it, Why he sits back and laughs. This is not the picture of God that we have. He is not sitting there watching us with this blindfolded act where we stumble around groping in the darkness. No, Jesus doesn't sit outside of our suffering while we stumble in the dark. He is with us. We just sang this. There is another in the fire with us. He's there with us, and when he's with us, that's where we can trust because he's never leaving us. And the trust we have isn't us just looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, some of that is temporal, right? If all of our trust is focused on, oh, I can't wait to get out of this stress. Oh, I can't wait to get out of this suffering. Oh, I can't wait to move past this. If all that's that's where our trust lies, it's temporal. Because the minute we get out of it, what's going to happen? The nature of life. We're going to fall right back into another season of stress and suffering. No, our trust is not in an outcome But in a person that we are okay in stress and suffering because of who is with us in that stress and in that suffering. That he's not sitting there spinning us around, leaving us to be. No, his arm is around us and we are walking through this stressful day. We are walking through this suffering year. We are doing that together That's what Psalm 23.4 is saying, that I can walk through Death Valley and be okay, not because of what I'm going through, but because of who is with me the whole way. This is the first step on the path to hope, that when stress and suffering come, we choose to trust in God. And this trust in the midst of our suffering produces next, it's in Romans 5, an unshakable perseverance. This unshakable perseverance. Look at verse 13. And Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. It's kind of an interesting thing that that he says this. And it's interesting because Matthew 4 gives us a much bigger account of this situation of him in the wilderness. Mark just gives us a little taste of what's happening here. But for 40 days, think about this. This is going on in Jesus' life. There's physical suffering going on. 40 days without food. I have a hard time skipping a meal, to be quite honest. 40 days without food. He's weak. He's physically suffering. He's mentally suffering. He's out there with nobody but the wild animals and Satan. Great companions, right? He's isolated from everyone else. He's mentally in a place where he's suffering, But worse than both of those things, he's spiritually suffering. Satan, and again, Matthew 4 can show you this if you want to go back and read it. Satan is literally throwing everything he has at Jesus, trying his best to get him to fall, to get him to stumble. And what do we see through all of this? Jesus is persevering. He is continuing on. When we trust God in our suffering and in our stress... Perseverance naturally follows. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He's, uh, if you ever had a chance to read anything by Oswald Chambers, he has a little devotion book, My utmost, First Highest. Great read. I try to make it part of my, my daily devotion. Um, but I love what he says here. He says this, trust God and do the next thing. Trust God and do the next thing. That's really what perseverance is if you think about it. Trusting God, persevering is doing the next right thing. Doing the next right thing. Disney actually got this one right, okay? I went and saw a movie uh, with my kids a little while back called Frozen 2, and they had a whole song about this very thing. Doing the next right thing. When the snowman dies... I'm not crying your crime, but when the snowman dies and everything goes wrong, it's all about doing the next right thing. Trusting God will lead us to action. It will not lead us sitting and sulking. It will lead us to action, to doing the next right thing. So Romans 5, on this path of hope, you have suffering that produces perseverance. And perseverance brings about a developed character, a developed character. It says in verse 13, and Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Angels ministered to him. Look at this. God is attending to Christ in his suffering and in his perseverance, and he does the same thing with us. It's one of these moments where it's a then God moment. I know that's kind of a weird phrase, but then God. Think about this for just a minute. In the Bible, there are 987 times in Scripture where you have the phrase, but God or then God. And these are like amazing phrases because every time these phrases are used, God is about to do something miraculous. He's about to do something amazing. We were dead in our trespasses and in sin, but God then does this. So many of these then God moments that we find all through scripture, but if we were honest, the believers in this room can testify, we have our own then God moments, where our life was on this path of destruction, our life was on this path uh, leading to somewhere bad, we're on this path of, path of suffering, we're on this path of, path of stress, can't talk. And then God shows up and does what only he can do. This is the soil where character grows. It's not in the hard job or the trial like we think it is. In fact, I tell my kids this all the time. And really, I'm not saying the right thing. I tell my kids when I say, hey, I need you to go out and pull the weeds. Why do we need to do that? It builds character. Now get out there as I sit on my back porch and drink my coffee while they're doing that. Here's the thing. The chore doesn't develop the character. The job doesn't develop the character why because that job or that trial or that chore or whatever it is we have in our life could make us better it could or it could make us bitter it's not that that doesn't we don't develop our character God does God's the one that's developing this character The supernatural work of God in a heart that is trusting and persevering in the midst of suffering and stress. He is making us into his image. This word character here, it's the the word where the word refinement comes from. It's like gold. He is literally heating things up in our lives to bring out the impurity in us. This is what suffering and stress does when we allow God to work through us which leads us, Romans 5, to this confident hope that trusting God in our suffering leads to perseverance, leads to a developed character, and lastly, it leads to a confident hope. Look at verse 14. This is kind of a weird way to change the subject here, but look at how, he, how the writer John Mark here changes the subject. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now this is odd, isn't it? It's kind of an odd spot to say. He's like, hey, he was in the wilderness, he was being tempted, he was suffering, all this bad was happening, and then all of a sudden, verse 14, after John was put in prison, the the circumstances, the environment for Jesus didn't change. It was still... Hard. It was still difficult. John goes to prison, and quite frankly, John's not leaving prison. He's going to be beheaded there in prison. John goes to prison. Jesus starts his public ministry where he's preaching the good news, and people hate him and want to kill him and do kill him. But Jesus walks out of this wilderness with a confident hope. The same hope that drove him into the wilderness will drive him to a cross. And will ultimately drive him out of a grave, holding the keys of death and hell on our behalf. And Jesus' life, when you look at this story, and you look at what's to come for Jesus, the rest of Mark, and the rest of the Gospels, Jesus' life did not get easier. It stayed difficult, and in many ways, and actually always, it got more difficult. But God did the impossible Through his son, Jesus, through the person of Jesus Christ, things were made possible that were impossible. We were separated in our sin and in our our shame and in spiritual death. We were separated from God. And because Jesus did the difficult, God did impossible things by making a way for us to be reunited with him in salvation. I I remember last year I had the opportunity to go out west. We go out west every year, uh, just about to visit my wife's family. And I was sitting in their living room and um, I was doing my little quiet time, and the boys were outside, my kids were outside playing. And I was sitting there and I I noticed something on their mantle. and, And it was this statement We can do difficult things. We can do difficult things. And as I read that, I was thinking, man, what a powerful statement for a believer in Christ. This is what confident hope is, that we can do difficult things because God does impossible things. We can do difficult because he does impossible. This is what confident hope is, and this is what Jesus had. And some of you are saying, yeah, but Jesus, he he was God. He knew everything. He, the unknown was known to Jesus. But here's the truth, guys. God desires the same for us. That when we follow or we see stress on the horizon, when we see suffering on the horizon, that we not become casualties of those relationships and our well-being. But instead, that we would see that God is doing something in us. He is instilling this confident hope where the unknown becomes known. Not the details, not the outcome, not how long we're gonna deal with the stress and the suffering. That might not ever be known to us. But what is known to us is that we have this hope in Christ that we know. I love the way Romans 3 or excuse me, Romans 5 ends with verses uh, 3 through 5. The path ends with hope. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And then I love this little phrase, and hope does not disappoint. This is what confident hope looks like. It's a hope that's not shaken by what stress comes into our life. It's not shaken by what our day looks like. Whether it's a good day or whether it's a bad day, we're not shaken because we are trusting in God. We are persevering. We are allowing God to develop character in us and we are living out a confident hope knowing that we can do difficult things because God does the impossible. So here's the question. What's it like to be with me when life's not stress-free. What's it like to be with you when life's not stress-free? In Maracaibo, Venezuela, this is a place where there is a storm that brews there 300 days out of a year. Now think about that for just a minute. Maracaibo, Venezuela, I didn't believe it either. You can go look it up. Maracaibo, Venezuela, Venezuela has a storm that sits there and that's generated 300 days out of a year. It's storming there. It's probably storming there right now. 300 days out of the year. Here's the question. Why would anybody want to live there? Why would anyone want to live under a storm like that 300 days out of the year? Here's the thing for us to remember. For some of us, this is what we're like to live with. Because there's stress that comes into our life, the reality of suffering comes into our life, and for whatever reason, we're kind of like Maracaibo, Venezuela. We just sit there and storm. And the people in our lives don't enjoy living with us. And if we were honest, we probably don't even enjoy living with ourselves. Because we've allowed stress and suffering to become the thing in our life. The thing that dictates everything else. So here's the the application. Don't allow your relationships or your well-being to be a casualty of suffering and stress. Don't ruin relationships. Because no matter how big the stress is. No matter how small the stress is, don't allow it, don't allow yourself to become a casualty of that suffering and stress. When expectation meets reality and when life's not stress free, choose hope. Choose this path that we see Jesus on right here in Mark chapter 1. Follow the path of hope. Trust God, trust Him, not the outcome, trust Him persevere. Do the next right thing. Persevere. Allow him to develop character in your life and have that confident hope that you can do difficult things because he does the impossible in and through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pray, God, that or we would not be victims of our stress and our circumstances, that we would not fall suit into ruining relationships, into ruining our own well-being because of the stress that comes into our life. For some of us, we have dealt with such stress and such suffering. For some of us in this room, we have health issues. For some of us in this room, we've, we have a grieved situation with a family member. We have death in our family, and these are monumental suffering. Our brothers and sisters overseas, they're dealing with monumental suffering, tribulation, martyrdom, persecution. And Father, there's big suffering and there's, there's little suffering, there's little stress. There's these little things that just mess our day up that we allow into our lives and into our relationships, and it wreaks havoc. Heavenly Father, help us, forgive us, Lord, for that. Forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to repent of that, God. Help us to choose the path of hope. No matter how big the suffering or how small the stress, God, help us to choose the path of hope. God, that we can be a testimony of your goodness and your grace and that we can do difficult things because you have done the impossible on our behalf. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.